Andre Miller and Richard Hamilton combined for 31 seasons in the NBA and they are my special guests on the US Sports Podcast today. Miller is famous for his durability, missing just three games due to injury while racking up career totals of over 16,000 points, 8,500 assists and over 1,500 steals. My second guest, known mostly as Rip Hamilton, won a championship with the Detroit Pistons in 2004, remembered fondly for wearing his face mask to protect a nose that had been broken too many times. First up on the show today, Andre Miller. 17 seasons, 9 NBA teams, and I think looking at your career on Basketball Reference, games played is the one that really caught my eye. If you look at that compared to today's players, durability was amazing back then. Can you credit one thing for that? They helped. A little bit of luck, a little bit of health. Um, I was blessed enough to stay healthy, you know, nowadays, you know, guys push themselves really, really far as far as, you know, preparing for season and during the season, then they tend to break down a little bit quicker. So I think the NBA has done a, a good job as far as adjusting the schedules, a, a less amount of back-to-back games. So, you know, it's just a little different time time and the change of how the game is being played, you know, that, that contributes to that. So I'm just blessed enough to, to, to be able to have played that long. It's fashionable now that NBA players eat kale. That's basically what they live on, kale and water. Did you have any uh, specialty <laughs> foods that you'd eat? No, 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 <laughs> no specialty foods, just pizza and, <laughs> and sometimes some burgers and salads and stuff. So, you know, I think guys now are a lot more, you know, focused and, and worried about their nutrition and, and that definitely helps. So you weren't concerned at all. Did, would you say you're lucky then, the way you eat that compared to today that you lasted I, that long? I wouldn't say I was lucky. I think everything with basketball and, and, and wanting to be out on the court, you know, I think everybody plays injured. Mm-hmm. It's just about, you know, you know, pushing yourself through that. And there was times where I was injured, but I still went out there and played. So what was the worst injury you played through? The worst injury that I played through was a, a torn rotator cut. You know, I, I think I tore my shoulder maybe like mid-season, like early, late, maybe late January and didn't get it uh, an MRI till the end of the season. And I just thought it was strained and got a cortisone shot, and, but I, I kept on playing. Did you have surgery at the end of I ended up having surgery. Wow, so how did it feel playing with that? I mean, the cortisone shot, you know, got, got rid of some of the pain, but you know, it was just all about just wanting to be out on the court. And you know, it wasn't, luckily it wasn't like a torn knee or ankle, it was something that was manageable. So as we said at the top nine teams over 17 seasons, you played with the Clippers and being from LA, was that the time you cherished the most? It was, it was fun, you know, it was also tough, you know, you could kind of sympathize with what Derrick Rose had to go through being in Chicago and being a hometown kid, um, you know, just, just being able to be around friends and family and, and the, the toughest thing was probably tickets for games, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wanted to go to the game and and you can't always cater to everybody, so, but, but the, the process was fun. I did have fun in L.A. Now, I know it's a sensitive topic, but what do you remember about Donald Sterling in, in that time? Um, not too much. It was so long ago. I mean, I just know he used to be around every now and then, show his support for the team in the locker room after games and stuff. But as far as, you know, just conversations, never really got a chance to have a conversation with him. Sticking with the LA theme, and we're all hearing about the big baller brand at the moment, probably too much. I'm not asking you to give any parenting advice to LeVar Ball, but do the NBA, should the NBA see anything in, in the two Ball brothers that have just gone to Lithuania, do you think? I don't think so. I think, I think um, everything happens for a reason. You know, I mean, the NBA has changed, you know, as far as how they, they 
you know, present the product of the league and, and who they're catering to. And, of course, you know, the, the globalization of the sports. And, you know, parents now are taking taking advantage of being involved in their kids and, and, and taking the initiative to, to be that person out front instead of trusting somebody else, maybe an agent or somebody that they don't trust, you know, as far as making the decisions for their kids. And that's what Ball has done. You know, I'm not going to say he's done everything right, but... You know, I do support him as far as being an involved parent, and you know, it's you know some good and some bad to it. So the NBA, you know, they know how to deal with you know circumstances like that. I wanted to talk to you about your college career as well. You went to University of Utah, mm. 1998. You made the national title game, lost to Kentucky, but in the Final Four, when you beat Arizona, they had Mike Bibby, they had Jason Terry. You recorded a triple double in that game mm -hmm. as well. You didn't show any intimidation. Is that one of the reasons why you were able to get so far in your career? I think so. I think every NBA player can put the ball through the basket, you know, has some type of level of confidence. That's what you need in order to play this game. And, and I, you know, I've played against those guys for a long time. And, you know, I think the year before we had played them in the national champion, I mean, I uh, played them in the final four. We had played them in the regular season game uh, at the same arena. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had an idea of what, what to look out for. But it was, it was a fun time, you know, you're young, playing in front of that many people and playing on probably the biggest stage in basketball which is the NCAA championship. So I, I, was, I was blessed enough to be healthy and playing those games. So who do you link your personality to the most? I, I think everybody probably tell you I try to stay to myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, you know, some things I regret about not, you know, socializing as much. I looked at everything with basketball as a business. And, you know, I made a lot of friends along the way, but, you know, I always looked at it as a business, business first before basketball. So did neither of your parents push you into the sport or any of your family um, members? No, not really. I, mean, I think back then, everybody just played sports as recreation. Mm. You know, you just go outside and, you know, pick up a ball, whether football, basketball, soccer ball, you know, and just, just play. Now, you know, times have changed. You know, kids don't even go outside and play anymore. It's all technology. And then also, you know, trainers. These kids have trainers now, so. You know, I, I never had that growing up, but, you know, that's how time has changed. Now, the Sixers are in London this week. You were involved in a trade 12 years ago with Denver. Alan Iverson goes there. You go to the Sixers. Can you attest to how much the local fans adore their stars? Oh, they love, they love sports. Philadelphia fans are probably the most passionate fans in the league. Um, you know, and I was there for two and a half years. And, you know, I, I'm just glad I wasn't on the bad side of the fence. You know, all they want guys to do is go out there and re represent the city play hard and have fun and, and it's you know it's also about winning and losing but they they support people blue collar workers go out play hard and have fun and it was it was a great experience you know it really wasn't too many expectations because of Allen Iverson leaving so you know the team struggled but then we end up making the playoffs the next two years so it was definitely a lot of support I enjoyed my time there one of their current stars Ben Simmons of course finish this sentence for me if you can if he learns how to shoot how good can he be? Shoot, be healthy, probably probably be one of the best players at his position to come through the league. You know, he's so talented, smart. He's advanced for his age. So, you know, I mean, every player comes in with something that they need to work on, and I'm sure that he'll get better as his, as his career goes. Back to your career, and later on in the day, you signed with the Spurs, 2016. Vince Carter's talked, and he's 41 at the end of this month, and he's talked about his recovery process and how hard it is. Could you take us inside what it was like for you at that age to just walk the next day? Well, I think guys like Vince and, you know, Jason Terry, Ginobili, you know, me and a few other guys that played 
to their 40s, you know, are competitive guys. And not only do we want to be um, cheerleaders, <laughs> I hate to say that word, but, you know, supportive of the other players, we want to be involved and be on the court. And, you know, I could have kept playing, but I had other things that I wanted to do besides basketball. And, you know, I'm just happy for those guys because they're competitive. They want to be on the court and they're leaders. And, and, and they wouldn't be playing that much and, and this far in their career if they wasn't good teammates and professionals. So I'm happy for those guys. What did you have to do? Was it stretching or ice baths? Stretching, you know, I mean, just just mentally, everything after that, once you get to that age, is just being mentally prepared because you're not going to play as much. You got to be supportive of the guys on the team and then all of a sudden, you know, the coach might say, oh, you might not play for four games or three or four games. Oh, I need you out there. Somebody might get hurt. You got to just be ready. So everything with that being at that age is mental. And that coach you mentioned, Greg Popovich, he's famous for doling out books to players. Did you ever get a book from him or an article to read or anything to study? Um, no, I didn't. You know, I learned probably um, in three months there, probably learned as much as I could anywhere that I played in the league just because I learned that just basketball is just keeping it simple. Mm. You know, it's not it's not nothing special that you need to do. So that's all it was there. Is it is it true though? He's a he's a history polit, polit, whatever it is politics history. He like he kind of brings it all in and researches. No, I, I didn't see that. You know, I just saw you know him keeping the game simple. Um, you know, um, holding people accountable, do your job, and um, you know also making the game fun. You know, I think it's not about coaching. It's about being a people person. And I think Greg Popovich is probably the best at knowing how to relate to people. You mentioned earlier you, you knew when it was time. What have you been doing since retiring? Um, I've been representing the NBA, um, you know, um, globally, you know, being able to travel around the world and, and represent the NBA and, and um, work with people from all different uh, cultures and backgrounds. And, and, you know, the NBA has done a great job as far as, you know, doing things as far as, you know, giving uh, supplies and courts, basketball courts to universities or just, you know, doing stuff in communities where where they have connects throughout the world. So, you know, I'm happy to be a part of that because, you know, it's, it's helping the business, it's helping the brand, and it's, it's definitely giving kids an opportunity that follow the sport, you know, through social media or whatever to, to have a dream, you know, to, to be able to see what's going on in America and definitely, you know, dream or maybe fantasize, of, oh, maybe I could be me one day. So. Social media really wasn't a big thing during the meat of your career, at least. How different do you think you would have been as a player? I think we, because I think we judge someone like Michael Jordan, who didn't have it, and then yeah. Kobe Bryant, who did. How do you think you would have been judged differently? I think I probably would have been, I think I probably would have been picked on, I think, <laughs> you know, because I, I'm not into social media, so... Um, you know, it's all about giving the fans access to your lifestyle, what you're doing, where when guys my age, you know, were younger, we were, we were private. We didn't want to put all our business out there and, and let everybody know what, what's going on in our private lives because we felt that, you know, it was personal. So, you know, now with that social media, you know, it gives guys like a Joe Embiid, you know, he, he, he's comfortable with being himself and, and putting himself out there. And I think that's definitely good for the league. Two quick questions to end. Trivia about yourself, and who doesn't like talking about themselves. <laughs> How many times did you play 82 games in a season? How many you played times 17 play seasons. Nine. Exactly right. He's a, he's a genius. Last one. <laughs> you were 38 years of age for the 2014-15 season. You split it with the Wizards and the Kings. So at 38, how many games did you play that year? 
how many games did I play with the Wizards and Kings? Um, 79. More. 81. So, Mr. Durable, Andre Miller, uh-huh. thanks for your time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. That was Andre Miller, and if you haven't seen it, you should go and watch the video on the BBC Sport website titled The Great British Dunk Off, where you'll get to see Miller along with Brian Scalabrine, the white member, of course, John Amici and Cedric Maxwell eat a selection of British biscuits. There's jammy Dodgers, Rich Tea, Chocolate Bourbons, the lot. And the competition is basically to see how long you can dunk each biscuit into a cup of tea and then eat it without it crumbling to pieces. A quick word on this podcast as well. If you enjoy the show, please head to the Apple Podcast app where you can rate the show and also leave a review. We're also available to listen to on blogtalkradio.com. Right, now on to Rip Hamilton. Right, everyone likes to talk about themselves, so I've got a question here. Did you average more points your first season in the NBA or your last? Hmm, great question. Hmm. It's very close. It's very close, yeah. ain't it? Yeah, it's in the nines. I know. <laughs> T- uh, Tibbs robbed me for my minutes in my last year <laughs> in the league. Uh, I would say my last. You're right, 9.8 yes. Chicago, 9. 9.1 with my first year. 9, exactly. 9, okay, all right, yeah. yep. And January the 6th, 2005, does that date ring a bell? January 6th, 2005. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's not your birthday, is it? No, no February. <laughs> you, did, you did something for the first time ever in the NBA. So you went 0 for 10 from the field, 14 for 14 from the line. Do you remember what happened? Oh, I was the only player to lead his team and scoring without scoring a field goal. Exactly. Did right. anybody ever break that yet? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. That's a crazy. That's a crazy uh, record right there. Are you proud of that? No very, one's broken it yet. Very proud. I was proud <laughs> that I won 14 for 14 from the free throw line. That's it. I wasn't proud of the shooting. <laughs> Half an efficient night. <laughs> yes. So going back to UConn and you won the championship with, against Duke '99. If for someone who doesn't know anything about that title run, how unlikely was it? It was very likely, I would have to say. Okay. Because uh, we we and Duke were both the number one team in the country mm-hmm. uh, majority of the year. Uh, reason why I came back to school was to win a national championship. We had Khaled Elamine, and a great point guard. Mm-hmm. And we felt we felt so that was our year. And Calhoun sold that to us all year long, that this was our year to win a championship. You mentioned Elamine I mean there, and he wore a t-shirt under his shirt. A lot of college players do that. Why is that? Weird question, but I see it in a lot in college. Well, it all depends. I mean, like, I mean, like, Khalid Alamine wasn't the uh, most like physically gifted <laughs> athlete, you know, and myself too. You know, I wore t-shirts uh, underneath my jersey because I probably weighed 175 pounds at that time, <laughs> so it kind of made me look bigger. I could, I could definitely fill out my jersey with the t-shirt underneath. Would you feel that more if you played today? It seems that there's the, the gym workouts are even more of a, of a thing now. Or was the weight room never really your thing? Well, I, it, it wasn't never really my thing. Mm. Uh, even even today, if you look at guys too, I mean, a lot of guys that other than the big physical guys like yeah. the LeBron James or Ali, but you know, there's if you look at a guy like Steph Curry, it's 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 more about you know uh, inner. Uh, what am I? What, what am I looking for? Uh, more of the uh, conditioning part mm-hmm. that really gets you over. Kind of like back in the day, where the old school players, you know, a lot of guys didn't really lift a whole lot of weights, but was more into the 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 uh, the, uh, the the. Uh, they like the heavyweights back yes, in the day, right? Yes. Yes. 
Let's go to when you were drafted by the Wizards and your third season there, Michael Jordan decides he's going to come back from the dead and return <laughs> to the, uh, the NBA. And you're now a teammate of Michael Jordan's, but at that stage of his career, was it difficult for you to kind of garner any chemistry with him? No, you know what? Just like any kid, it was the best experience of my career other than winning a world championship with the Pistons was playing with Michael Jordan. I mean, you're a kid and you grow up watching mm. Michael Jordan. I mean, I idolized him and it was a goal of mine to get opportunity just to play against him and now to get opportunity to play with him on my team and now have him as a teacher each and every day and able to pick his mind, mm. especially me being in the same position as him, to try to pick his mind to get any type of advantage I possibly can get. I thought it was a dream come true. What did he teach you? Is there one thing that you even asked him, I want to know that move, how to do that? Well, like I said, I remember one day in practice, I was gardening and uh, he took two hard dribbles to the middle of the paint, pulled up, knocked it down, came down, did the same thing. <laughs> And he says, Rip, add that to your game. Mm. The, hardest play, the hardest play in the game to guard is the medium range jump shot. Mm. And I looked at that and I really started to try to perfect that. And that enabled me to be the player that I am today, is really understanding spots on the floor and getting to them and uh, knocking them shots down. That's fascinating. So do you, are you saying that you wouldn't have been such a mid range shooter if, if Jordan hadn't have Probably said not, that? probably not. Wow. Yep, probably not. That's interesting. Yes. How does it feel to break your nose? Not cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, first of all, it ain't cool to get hit in your nose, first of all. You know, because the first thing you do, especially as a kid, if you ever got in a fight and somebody punched in your nose, your eyes were warped so you couldn't see, then you would lose the fight. <laughs> so just imagine that. But uh, breaking your nose is something totally different. You got to go through the process of getting surgery multiple times. You got to wear a clear plastic mask on your face mm -hmm. now and every time you step on the floor and so it's it's not something that I wish on anybody but we all got growing up watching you play as well we all got used to seeing you with a mask and it's almost when you took it off it's like a dad is we're always what going got glasses yeah, on totally. take some off at night it's like whoa <laughs> uh, did you ever take them take it home with you did you get completely used to it or? you know what it was my identity especially on the floor I looked at it as for from a branding standpoint that if somebody didn't know the game of basketball and it was their first experience at, a, at an NBA arena, the first thing they would say is, why is that guy wearing a plastic thing on his face? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I looked at that as that. And it's, 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 it's something, like you say, that's funny because now even when I'm out at times, people be like, hey man, where's your mask at? Why don't you have your mask on? I said, man, if I walked into this restaurant or this store, this department store with a mask on, man, they would probably have me pinned down thinking I'm trying to trying to rob the place. But uh, like you said, most people, they, they're so used to me wearing the mask, they think I, I, I need to have it on every day. Because Kyrie Irving, who we'll see this Thursday, he had it on for a portion this season, and every opportunity he had, it took it off, even a line before shots. What changes when you wear it in, with your vision? Well, just like anything, it's like, you know, so much is, is based on how you see the basket and your mm. perception of the basket. Now you got something on your face that's changing that perception that you've been used to your whole entire life. So it, it's, it's an adjustment, but you got to either buy in or if you don't buy in it, then you'll have nightmare games. But if you buy into it, a lot of special magic will happen with that mask on, as you can see. <laughs> well, yeah, I can see it, <laughs> including the 04 year with Detroit when you won the championship. Going to work, Pistons they were called, obviously Larry Brown was the coach, Chauncey Billups, the Wallace, 
the Wallaces. Why were they called the Going to Work Pistons? You know why? Because we took pride on uh, uh, playing hard-nosed, gritty mm. type of basketball. We kind of adopted that name off the city. Mm -hmm. If if you ever been in Detroit, it's a city where people put on their hard hats, they put on their Timbo boots, they they're going to work each and every day. And when we got there, especially me and Chauncey, because Ben Wallace was the first one there, he kind of uh, uh, had the identity. Mm -hmm. like he was the identity of saying, all right, you know, a guy that wasn't drafted, uh, a guy that was now, you know, defensive player of the year, uh, a guy that made a name off getting rebounds, kind of doing all the dirty work. And we kind of adopted that name off him. We kind of fit right into that mix. And the fans loved you. I mean, that was Hockey Town USA, and it was a '04. It was a basketball town. It was mad for it. Did, did you? Are there any instances you remember? And you mentioned the fans there. You know, working class people uh, meeting a fan, and, and how much they shared that passion for basketball with you. Well, they took pride in it, and we took pride on putting out a, a great product for them to come and cheer for. You know, it's kind of like the Los Angeles Lakers. It's Hollywood. The Magic <laughs> got there. You know, was Showtime and it kind of fit on what the city uh, represents. We did the same thing as Detroit. We were hard-nosed, we were gonna get in your face, we were gonna throw you down, we was gonna trip you, we were gonna make the game dirty. And that was cool because everybody from Detroit worked hard for what they had. You know, it was it was a cold city when it comes to the weather. I mean, we it snowed probably 80% of the time I was there. So re people really took pride in going to work and we we just kind of said to ourselves, we got to get we got to give them something to cheer for. And following in the footsteps of the Bad Boys, if you'd have gone up against that team, how would that have gone? Just a big scrap at the end of it? Or? I don't think the game would ever finish. <laughs> to be 100% honest with you, I think the game would have finished probably with Two guys playing one-on-one, -on -one, everybody else would have got kicked out. Oh man, <laughs> talking of one-on-one, -on -one, you had to play guys like Kobe, Shaq in that final, but beating the Lakers in five games as well, was, was it extra special beating that team? Well, I think for me personally, it was extra special for me to beat Kobe. Mm. Because, you know, us having battles as kids and uh, him winning the state champ, we was in the same district right. growing up in high school, and him winning the state championship, and he didn't go to college when I won in, the NCAA championship in college, I called him, threw it in his face, like, oh, you know, you can have that high school uh, PIAA championship. Then he went out and winning championships with the Lakers, and now we meet up again, you know, at, at the highest level. And I remember being in the locker room with Ben and with Chauncey, and I'm like, look, dude, I don't care what you do, but we can't allow this team to beat us because I can't live with myself knowing <laughs> that this dude over here in the other locker room beat me again for a championship. So. Uh, for me personally, it was more personal than anything, <laughs> so I was excited to get that victory. What does he? I know I remember watching some game, some highlights the other day, like the series, and Devin George was on you a lot of the time. But when Kobe and you were together, what, especially when he had the ball, what would, what sort of stuff did he say to you, trash talk wise? Well, you know, it, it was, it, I don't remember the actual trash talking part, but I just remember to myself, I'm not allowing him to get nothing, mm -hmm. and he would look me in my eye and say, I'm not allowing you to get nothing. We didn't use the word nothing. It was a lot more profanity that was going on in there. I understand. Yes, but it was a battle. It was a battle of wills, and uh, it was one of them things that we were both blessed to get opportunity to play against each other at a high level at 16, 17, mm. and also to do it at the highest level in the NBA. Last couple of questions. Your free throw routine, two dribbles on the right foot, then you go wide, 
uh, how did you come up with that? How did that work? It came up when I was a kid. I was probably like in seventh grade. Uh, uh, my coach, Ricky Hicks, mm. uh, a lot of times I would get to the free throw line and I use my legs. And a lot of times kids do the same thing. They get up there and it's all arms. So they just get up and just think that all right, they don't got to use mm -hmm. their lower half. So that dribble always remind me to use my legs when I shoot. Because when you're at the free throw line, you don't want to think. You know, the more you think, the more chances you're going to miss. So it's all about rhythm. So every time I took that dribble to the right, it was a constant remind me, muscle memory, to remind me to use my legs when I shoot the ball. There you go, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, the best Rasheed Wallace story you're allowed to tell? That I'm allowed to tell? <laughs> They're no good. They're no good. <laughs> like every, every story about Rasheed Wallace, mm. Man, it it will be something that is <laughs> not allowed is to not tell. allowed to tell, and it's not kid friendly. Mm -hmm. He was good at basketball. He was that. great at basketball, and he was a great teammate. Okay, good. <laughs> they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that. Trust me, and you probably had to edit it a thousand times if I told you some of the stuff that went on in our locker room with him. <laughs> Last one, and uh, you can't name the '04 starting team. Um, okay, the, the all your all-time starting five in Detroit Pistons history. Without naming the guys I played with? You can name the guys you played with, but just not the exact style of five you had in 04. You can go back I, to IT and Lane Beer. I can't. <laughs> you can't? If, it, if it's me, I'm going with Chauncey Billups, Tayshaun Prince, Rashid Wallace, Ben Wallace. I got to. They're my guys. Okay. I can't, nah, I can't sub any of them guys out. Fair enough. Yes. That's why you won a championship. That's together. why we won. Yep. Nah, I'm fascinated by MJ. <laughs> yeah, totally. Nah, he, he was the man, man. A lot of people looked at it as saying, all right, you know what, he was stunt the young guy's growth. No, no, come on, man, that's MJ. Was he, do you think he was a little bit more open to, to saying that to you at that point, though? Or would, do you think he would have given you that if he was 23 or? Total different story. Yeah? Total different story. Yeah? Yes. Thank you to my guests today, Andre Miller and Richard Hamilton, two great people and also fantastic players back in the day. I'm more excited for this Sunday's NFL slate than I can ever remember, probably because... For seven hours last week, we witnessed Jags 45, Steelers 42, correctly called, of course, by Calais Campbell, and the Vikings walking off on the Saints in the last 10 seconds in Minneapolis, where the Super Bowl will be held. No team has played a Super Bowl in their home stadium since the advent of the Super Bowl 52 years ago. We are one game away from potentially that, and potentially a Blake Bortles against Case Keenum or Nick Foles Super Bowl. I would not have said that back in the preseason send me your title game predictions at max underscore whittle on twitter and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the podcast talk to you soon